Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. All right, good morning. How are you guys doing? Are you excited to be here? Awesome. I love the response. It's great. Uh, Today, we're in part four of our series, The Gospel of Mark. And uh, how many of you have been here for any of the previous weeks? They're all on podcasts. It's been, been an awesome series so far. But we are still in chapter one. And uh, we're not in a rush, but we are going to finish chapter one today. So you guys ready for that? Yeah, wow. That, you guys are really excited. Well, well hang on tight, because uh, all of chapter one, there's actually a lot of verses left. But the reason we're doing that is because this all takes place over a 24-hour period. It's like the Jesus reality show. Um, anybody have a guilty pleasure reality show? My wife has one, more like a few, and I'm not allowed to tell you what they are. Uh, but maybe, maybe you have one, or maybe you've wondered with someone that you respect or someone who's famous, like, what does a day in their life look like? What is that? So today, we actually get to look at a day in the life of Jesus, and it's a jam-packed episode. Um, so you're going to want notes. If you didn't get notes, go ahead, raise your hand. Our ushers have notes for you. This will just help you follow along with the scripture. It also has our home church questions, if you want to want to think about those before home church, and we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit. But we're going to start today in chapter 1, verse 21. Here we go. It says, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. So in your notes, we're going to circle four things. Capernaum, the Sabbath, synagogue, and to teach. Uh, Capernaum was the village of Nahum the prophet, an Old Testament figure, and it was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus grew up just a few miles to the, to the southwest in Nazareth. But think of Capernaum as Jesus' home base. For most of his ministry, this is most of his time in the public eye, this was his home base. And they were probably at Peter's house. That was kind of like his HQ, the central spot for his work. And this story takes place on the Sabbath, which is known, uh, which is the Jewish day for rest and worship. So from Friday evening to Sunday evening, they had their Sabbath. And uh, they measured their days from evening to evening. So we think of a new day starting in the morning, but they thought of it in terms of evenings because they wanted to recognize that when they wake up in the morning, God's been working the whole time we've been sleeping. Isn't that cool? So they measured their days differently. And then the story takes place in the synagogue. And the synagogue was the communal focal point of Jewish life. So children were educated in the synagogue. I mean, we don't quite have a place like this in our culture, but it would be like if we had a community center and kids went to school there and we had our our worship gatherings there and we're there like when we want to meet up all throughout the week all the time. So it's really, really a cool spot. And the, the entire Jewish community gathered there on the Sabbath. And the synagogue was where they had their service. And so the gathering had four parts, a prayer, followed by a reading from the Torah, which was the the first five books of the Bible, and then followed by a teaching like I'm doing right now. And then they'd have a closing blessing. 
So basically, the synagogue was very teaching-focused, which is why the next phrase is that Jesus began to teach. Now, the synagogue in Jesus' day was very different. It didn't have a a full-time paid pastor. It had a ruler of the synagogue that was responsible for all the runnings of the synagogue. And this is important to know because it was actually really a, a lucky thing if a rabbi happened to be in town to teach at their synagogue service. And so when Jesus is there... That's why he was always invited to teach. The word rabbi means teacher. So Jesus began to teach them. Check out this photo. This is Capernaum Synagogue today. Isn't that epic? So I got this off Wikipedia, but I promise you can trust it. Uh, This is what it looks like, and uh, it'd it'd be amazing to go there. Uh, But this is the synagogue that they were in. I mean, imagine what that looked like when it was all new and not not a ruin or in crumbles. Um, So here they are. This is the scene, verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Um, It can also be translated teachers of the Torah or teachers uh, or scribes. So the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they typically teach from this. They'd gather around and these were educated men. They were basically scholars or what you and I would consider a seminary professor But what they did is they just quoted each other. They'd say, Rabbi so-and-so says this, or Rabbi so-and-so says that. But when Jesus shows up and he starts teaching, it's totally different. Because Jesus is teaching with authority. And they're blown away because because he's teaching with what the Greek word uses, excusia, which which is like the author. It's as if he's the author of what he's talking about. He's telling them the story of the world from the creator's perspective, as if he was there, as if he wrote this story. So watch what happens. Verse 23, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. So this impure spirit is another way of saying demon, and he's scared of Jesus because Jesus is coming into his territory. So Jesus is living in a spiritual war zone, and we live in a spiritual war zone today. And when you start speaking truth, you meet your enemies. Some of you are like, yes. Can I get an amen? Like when you start speaking truth, you meet your enemies, and Jesus sure did. And so this is what happens. The demon cries out, And he refers to him as the Holy One of God. And this was actually a tactic used in Jesus' day. See, what the demon was trying to do was gain some authority on Jesus. Because by calling out his true name and his rank in the spiritual world, they believed that you had an authority over that individual. But Jesus, he's like, nope, not going to work. Verse 25, I love his response. He says, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. And this was unheard of. Like, like we kind of skip over it because we think, well, that's what Jesus is supposed to do, right? He's Jesus. He can command the demons and tell them what to do. But we have all kinds of rabbinic writings where they would, they would have all this stuff, almost like magic, like incantations, like things that they would say and do and anything they could think of to try to get demons out of people and it usually didn't work. Like they do even some kind of gross rituals. Like they get human feces and put it up to the person's nose. I don't know about you, but I, I would think that would work every now and then, right? Or they dump huge buckets of water on the person and try to drown out the spirit. So Jesus, he just says, 
get out, and it works. He just commands the demon, and so they, they were amazed. It says the people were so amazed, they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. And this word amazed is used all throughout the gospel of Mark. People are just blown away by what Jesus can do and what he's saying. Uh, Verse 28, news about him spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum's located right off the major north-south trade route running all the way through the Middle East, which means if you did something big, if a big story broke, everybody heard about it. Everybody knew what was going on. Uh, If you wanted to make a public statement, I mean, this was like, Twitter as a place, okay? This is where you went if you want to want to make a big statement. So all eyes are on Jesus right now in Capernaum. Let's keep reading. Jesus, his day is just getting started. It says, as soon as he, they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now, people didn't have homes, single family homes like you and I have today. Okay, they lived with uh, lots of extended family, up to 50 to 60 people. It was known as an insula complex. And so it was like four units with a big open courtyard. And so they'd gather, or they'd live in these units, and then they'd gather in the middle for their laundry and their cooking. And it was just very communal. Uh, some of you are thinking, that sounds like the worst. I'm going to live with my extended family right? That's my parents' dream, okay? (laughs) But what's going on here? Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. They're like, man, Jesus, he's powerful. He's got authority. Mom's sick. Let's see what he can do. So he went to her, and he took her hand, and he helped her. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So you're like, wait, what? She's, she, she's healed and she's right back in the kitchen. Like, what's going on here? Like, if you look at this and you interpret it the wrong way, it can seem very sexist. But that's actually not the point that the author's making. He's making a far deeper point. He's saying that when Jesus heals you, it's a total healing of your soul, of your body. He's saying that when Jesus heals you, you're actually able to function. You're actually able to help people like you used to. And so this is, this is an amazing healing. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed. So the word is spreading rapidly. And they waited till after the Sabbath because they wanted to wait until their, their day of rest was done. But imagine with me that now Jesus has like 1,500 people on his lawn. I mean, it says the whole town gathered. The whole town gathered at the door. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So all night he's going after it. This is an incredible time of ministry. People are being healed. But then what? The story continues. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place And he prayed. So why did he do this? Well, you don't have a solitary place when you live with 50, 60 people, right? So he's got to leave. He's got to go to this solitary place. Uh, He gets up early to do this. And then it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. They're like, hey, Jesus, like Jimmy Fallon called. He wants you on his show. Other synagogues are saying like, hey, can you, can you get down here? We, we'd love to have you this weekend. Like everybody is looking for Jesus. They're looking for him. And Jesus's response, I love it. He says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. 
So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And what was happening in Capernaum is now happening everywhere. And I love his focus. He says, this is why I've come. He knew his mission. He's like, I'm gonna, I've come to preach. I've come to do this. So let's, let's go for it. Like, it's happening. So today we're going to look at five things that we learn from a day with Jesus. Five things. Number one, Jesus did his work in large gatherings and in homes. In Mark 1, we see him ministering in the synagogue and the home. Uh, Jesus wasn't just about one or the other. He was all about the people of God gathering for worship and teaching. But he was also all about the smaller home gatherings where people were living life together. And there's this idea out there that, that, that it was, it's kind of like one or the other, that Jesus was maybe more about one or the other, that, that we need to get back to how it was in the early church where we only met in homes or where, you know, people actually think this. It's not in the Bible, Clearly, he's in synagogues, but it's kind of like that this was this pure, more, more original intention, right? Uh, but, but there's this idea that, that, that we need to do this. And I think that a lot of it is because in the American church, we've definitely overemphasized the large gathering. We've definitely overemphasized these, these mega gatherings. And those are good. What we're seeing is Jesus liked them. But he also cared about the small gatherings, and those were just as important. And so that's why we actually call our small gatherings home churches, because we want to emphasize the weight they carry in our, in our priority. Uh, the church is followers of Jesus wherever they gather. So, so if you haven't been to Growth Track today, today's step one. I just want to encourage you. Uh, my dad's going to be teaching it. It's a, during the 1130 gathering. You can go to brunch, come back. But if you're new to Brave and you want to hear more about this kind of stuff, Growth Track is the best on-ramp to do that. Uh, but it's not the building that makes us a church. We're grateful for this building, but it's not what defines us. And, and here's the thing that we need to catch. Jesus is not down on organized worship, okay? He came and he founded this religion, but he's not against large gatherings. Um, he, he takes leadership. It takes leadership and planning and a lot of work, and, and it's godly work to pull all of this off when we gather together and there's all these different moving parts. But you need to know that Jesus is a fan of what we're doing on Sundays. Like Jesus is so happy that we're here together, he was an organized guy. He was intentional. He was strategic. He had a mission with a limited amount of time to accomplish it, and he had a team. So there's this idea that, that Jesus was this, this kind of first century hipster, like just a beatnik, kind of roaming around, anti-establishment, totally organic, maybe rebellious, and, and that's really not who Jesus was. And there's also this idea that, that Jesus is kind of, uh, that, that, that teaching was kind of unnecessary, you know, that we can just kind of gather around and, and just discuss things and talk, but that there doesn't need to be a teaching of God's word by people who are called to preach. But this is very significant. Like, we, we need to not miss something here. Jesus was a rabbi. A rabbi is a teacher, and he, was, he knew scripture well. He was known all up and down Judea uh, for really two main things, for his teaching and for his miracles, and he didn't have popular bands opening up for him. Like, people weren't coming because of his friends. His friends were nobodies. They didn't know who he, who, even know who his friends were. And he was found teaching in village after village, and large crowds were gathering. 
And he mostly did it in the synagogue, but eventually they outgrew the synagogues and they had to go out into the fields. So if Jesus came to the Western world today, guess where he'd be? Southern California, right? Where you can preach outside all year long. Like how many of you are thankful that we have a building? Yeah. So all this to say we need both. And we need, we need the weekly large gathering where we worship and where we hear the teaching of God's word. But we also need community that meets up, hangs out, that gathers throughout the week, that, that, that we need friends that share a mission together. So if you're, if you're anti-large gatherings, anti-the synagogue thing, you're missing out. And if you're anti-the home gathering or you haven't given it a shot yet and you haven't gotten into community with other followers of Jesus, you're missing out. The kind of church that Jesus came to start cannot be contained in a few hours a week. And so as amazing as these Sunday gatherings are, we need more than this. You need people who know you and care about you. You need people that that you can live life with, that you can share your life with and have a spiritual connection, not just a community connection, but a spiritual connection. So number two, Jesus saw the home as a place for ministry. Uh, Ministry is serving people inside God's family, and mission is serving people outside the faith. So the home was an epicenter of both, and typically when you and I think of home, we think of it kind of as a retreat from ministry and mission, a place to unwind, to relax, to watch uh, maybe some Netflix, hang out with your family, and and just recover. Uh, But then we go out and do the kingdom stuff. But to Jesus, it was the opposite. Home was a place for serving when Jesus needed rest, he'd go to a solitary place, not, not stay at home, because home was for serving. Home was where the action was. And this has profound implications for how you and I uh, think about our families. Uh, when you get home from work, you have a second job, whether it's to your wife, it's to your, to your kids, or, or maybe to your roommates if you're single. And that's ministry. But your home is a place for ministry and mission. And home churches, they started up last week. Who's excited about home churches? Been checking out. Yeah, we, we love home churches. Is your home open? Have you learned the art of hospitality? Are people coming over and hanging out and eating good food? Have you made your home a place that people want to be where ministry can happen, where God's rule can be felt? What if we thought about our living rooms that way? What if we imagined our living room? Is this a place where people could be blessed? Is this a place where people could grow closer to God, where meaningful friendships could be formed? And you don't need a lot of space. Maybe you're thinking, man, I just, my, my place is too small or this or that. I mean, all you need, we have some friends, Joe and Emily, and they're leading a home church and they don't host it at their home because it, it is too small, but they live in a studio apartment and they have people over all the time and they have us over and, and, and growth is happening. Meaningful things are happening in the studio apartment. I'm always sitting on the floor and uh, they're thinking about getting a beanbag for me, but you don't need a lot of space for God to work. You just need to be available. Uh, I'm I'm in seminary right now, and a few weeks ago, we were studying Isaiah, and my professor talked to us about four types of poverty. Material, which is I don't have enough food, home, or wellness. Significance is a sense of I matter, purpose to my life, I have something to give. Community, I'm part of something bigger than me, someone cares that I'm around. And spiritual, having a grace relationship with Yahweh through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus saw the home as a place where all of these needs could be met. 
Guys, we live in a region that's known for its material wealth. I know we're not all wealthy. I'm not wealthy. But we live in a region that's known for material wealth. But it's impoverished in every other category. You, have, you can have all the money in the world and be a very poor person. So, so let's do something about this. What would it look like to reimagine your living room as a headquarters for your family's ministry? A place where people can gather and have their spiritual needs met and find community. A place where people could be vulnerable about their financial needs if they need help. A place where people could discover their significance. A place of mission where people can find and follow Jesus. Are people coming to know Jesus in your living room? How amazing would that be? Number three, Jesus prioritized alone time with God. Now, this might seem obvious, but it needs to be said. Uh, if you're Jesus and you, you've just had a long day, a long, hard day, and, and you night owls, you're probably going to want to tune out to this. But what does he do? Does he sleep in? No, he doesn't. He's right up. He's going to, to a solitary place to pray. If I spent the whole day doing what Jesus did, if I'm ministering, if I'm, I'm casting out demons, I'm healing people, I'm going all through the night, I'm not getting up before it, while it's still dark, okay? I'm sleeping in. I'm going to have some coffee. I'm going to do some stuff, catch up on my phone, maybe go, go for a workout, then meet up with some friends and have some more coffee. Like, that's a relaxing day in the life of Samuel. But Jesus... He's up early, and he's out of the house. He had a rhythm of renewal. Do you have a rhythm of renewal in your life? How many of you get tired? Raise your hand. Anybody? How many of you thought, I'm just going to sleep in today? I'm not going to. Of course not. You guys are the early service. You guys are like, let's go, right? <laughs> but how many of you woke up this morning? Maybe you thought, you know, let's just take the morning off. It's, it's going to be a beautiful day. It rained this week. Man, I am so worn out sometimes, and rarely physically. I'm usually not physically tired, but I get emotionally drained. And sometimes pastoring and leading and teaching and dealing with problems, like that really drains me emotionally. Did you guys know that pastors don't just study and pray and, and deliver messages? Right? Like I was talking to a friend last week. I was on my day off, and I was meeting up with him in the city. And, and he was like, you know, I used to think you guys had the best job because all you do is pray and just read your Bible, and then come to church on Sundays? I'm like, bro. And he's like, no, but I get it now. That's not what you guys do. You guys are planning. You have meetings. You're dealing with crisis. You've got all these conflicting agendas. You get criticized. Then you've got, then you get up, and you deliver messages, and you do that kind of stuff too. Guys, it's a lot and I say that not like, oh, feel sorry for pastors, but I just say that because you need to know that we take the mission seriously. And we do view this as an honor and a privilege, but we're also humans. And we also get tired. And sometimes I don't even feel like preaching. Like sometimes I think, man, I'd like to stay home. I'd like to sleep in today and go to brunch, right? But what's your rhythm of renewal? Maybe you're like me and you're kind of in the middle of being introverted and extroverted. Like, it's not a really cool thing to say right now because everything's super, like I'm super extroverted or I'm super introverted because, you know, it's like the superhero age, right? Well, I'm just super in the middle, okay? So for me, like, maybe, you're, maybe you like going, getting out of your environment. Like, I like to go and, and be in nature, see something beautiful, go for a run. Maybe to you, you're like, that sounds horrible. I just want to be with all my friends. I don't even care if I know the people. Let's party, right? But wherever you're at, whatever your personality is, you need alone time with God. No matter how outgoing, no matter how social you are, you need space daily, 
weekly, monthly, annually, where it's just you and God, where your phone's off, where your computer's put away, where your headphones are out, and it's just you and God. Uh, And you're tuning in and you're listening and you're opening yourself up to receive from the Holy Spirit through prayer. Tonight's going to be a night like that. If you haven't had a moment like that in a while, come to Seek Night. We're going to have a time to receive what, what God wants to say to us as individuals, just, just alone time with God. And notice it doesn't say that, that Jesus went off to a coffee shop with his Bible and his journal, right? It doesn't say that he went off to, to go and read his Bible. And in fact, guys, the, the scrolls, their scrolls, they, they had to stay in the synagogue. Like, he's not just, like, lugging around Isaiah out in the woods, okay? This was way before the printing press. And I'm not saying that to say that you shouldn't read your Bible, that we shouldn't read our Bibles regularly. But if part of your time with God isn't, isn't just time in prayer, just an opportunity for God, maybe where you're not talking and you're just listening for God to speak to you, that's a really important thing. I mean, that's what Jesus is modeling for us. And he has this time and he's renewed, and he comes out of this time with a sense of focus and vision and clarity, and he remembers what really matters. We need this time regularly. Some of you are processing some big decisions. Have you spent time alone with God in prayer? Maybe you're analyzing, you're trying to figure out your feelings, you're getting lots of opinions, maybe you've written out the pros and cons, but what is your father telling you? What is God saying? What if his words go against what everyone else is saying? What if they go against your better judgment? What if they go against uh, what your friends or family think? Will you still follow? Are you still willing to stop and listen? And even if God's advice goes against the grain, what what are you going to do? I'll admit, when I get busier, I spend less time praying. But that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. The busier Jesus was, the more time Jesus would slip away and get alone with God. We see this this trajectory all throughout his ministry that the busier and the crazier things got, the more time he's getting alone with God. Right now, the world needs us to be a community that's gonna rise up and show the people around us a better way of living not addicted to technology, not addicted to work, not addicted to entertainment. The world needs an example of what it looks like to live as people the way God intended, to live under God's kingdom rule and experience the peace and the blessing of an obedient life, of a life that follows. So what does it look like? What does it look like to not be addicted to technology? What does it look like to not be addicted to our work? What does it it look like to the next time a raise or a promotion or a unique opportunity comes your way? What does it look like to put your family first? See, maybe, maybe those things are not at odds, but have you stopped to consider? Have you asked God, what, what's best for my family? Now we're gonna go back to the story because we're gonna finish this chapter. I know you guys are really excited to finish this chapter. There's one more kind of odd story that Mark puts right at the end of chapter one. And it's really odd. It starts in verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and he begged him on his knees, if you were willing, you can make me clean. Now, no disease was more filled in the ancient Near East than leprosy. I mean, if you got leprosy, you had to live in a leper camp. Uh, you, you, You would get these sores and nodules and then lacerations like all over your body. You looked like a zombie from The Walking Dead. 
I mean, you, you became that. And then 10 years later, you die. And the worst part is you were a social outcast. If anyone, any, any other Jewish citizen was like 50 feet away from you, you had to yell unclean to give them warning because they were afraid that they would catch it. So if you were lucky, you could come to the, the large gathering, but you'd have to hide behind a curtain and you'd have to wait till everyone, long after everyone else has left before you could slip away and leave because you had to be so far from people. So verse 41, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing. He said, be clean. Now, this is easy to kind of skip over again and take lightly because we, we, we live in a culture that's heard some things about Jesus. We expect him to do healings and stuff. But this was a really big deal because a rabbi never touched someone with leprosy. They thought it was a contagious disease. And, and this would be like sharing a needle with someone who has, has a, a major illness or disease. And if you touched someone, you were made unclean. If you touched someone, you were an outcast because you were contagious and they thought you might be carrying it. But Jesus, he touched the leper and the leper became clean. This says so much about God. This says so much about what he's like with people who are messed up, people who are outcast, people who feel unclean. It says so much about how God feels about you, how God feels about me. And it completely combats this idea that I think we all start with that says, I need to get cleaned up before I can come to God. I kind of need to deal with my anger or that bad habit or that stupid, you know, I get, recover from some of these bad decisions I've made before I can come back to God. Then God can do something amazing through my life or then God will accept me. But I got to tell you something, that is stupid. Like that is so dumb. That's like saying I need to get healthy before I can go to the doctor. In Mark 2, this is a sneak peek. This is where we're headed. One of my favorite Jesus quotes. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So we, we, we all know it doesn't add up, but how many of you have felt like you needed to clean up first? How many of you have struggled with that? I bet most of us have. Jesus is looking for people with sin, and he's going after them. And the unclean is made clean in the presence of God. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Notice it doesn't say he was made better. It says that he was cleansed. This is like if, if, you, if you're doing a cleanse, maybe you've done a cleanse at the start of the year. This is like Whole30 in an instant. This is like Whole30 in a day, and you don't even have to change the way you eat. How many of you would love that? This is why it's a miracle. This guy goes from looking like a zombie to he just finished at a day spa in Napa. I mean, he's doing great. This is what the presence of God can do for your soul. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In Leviticus 13 and 14, there were instructions from Moses that if by chance you were healed from leprosy, which really never happened, but if you were, you had to go to a priest in Jerusalem and do these rituals before you could enter back into the community. But instead... He went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in the lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Because of the things Jesus is doing, he's a household name. Everybody knows about him. He's famous, and people are starting to follow him, and they're wondering, just maybe he is 
who he says he is. See, they've had false messiahs before, so they've got their guard up. They're not sure. Is he really who he's saying he is? But maybe he is, just maybe he's the Messiah. So in closing, uh, we have two more points. Number four, Mark isn't showing us that Jesus is a nice guy. It's easy to read Mark 1 as a group of random stories. A lot of people read Mark 1 as a bunch of instances where Jesus is showing compassion and mercy as if the main point is, man, Jesus is such a good guy. And, And I'm sure, you know, he is a good guy. I believe that, but I don't think that's the point that the author's making. Okay, Mark 1, Jesus is showing us something so much more. I think the way that we're supposed to view these stories circles back to what we talked about a few weeks ago in in regards to the kingdom of God. These are signs of the inbreaking rule of God. Jesus made a bold claim that the kingdom of God has come, and now he's backing it up with actions. He's saying the time has come, the kingdom of God is here. Now, now, now watch what that looks like. Watch what that means. The exorcisms, the healings, these are signs. Um, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright calls them symbolic acts. So they aren't random acts of kindness. Jesus is doing things that the Messiah is supposed to do that usher in the age to come. He's fulfilling prophecy after prophecy that said things like, this is what it's going to look like when resurrection comes, or this is what it's going to look like when redemption comes. And these stories are Mark's way of saying, so this is what God's rule looks like. And this is really important for us to get, because as a follower of Jesus, this is the perspective that we're to live with, that we have the power of the kingdom. In some aspects, it may be on the horizon, but make no mistake about it. The kingdom of God is here now. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, if you really want to know, Jesus is showing us. He's saying it looks like freedom from demonic oppression. It looks like Jesus healing your family. It looks like the chains of addiction being broken. It looks like someone's life being changed forever in your living room. It looks like someone who society has cast out being welcomed and accepted and finding forgiveness. So this is what it looks like when God's in charge. This is the kind of kingdom that he's building. And lastly, number five, just because you're in church, it doesn't mean you have it all together. I'm living proof of this. I know many of you Consider yourselves living proof of this. Just because you're here and you're dressed well, you guys look great this morning, you've got your coffee, having a great day, but just because you're here, it doesn't mean you're not a wreck on the inside. Just because you know some theology or you've been to some Bible studies, that doesn't mean you aren't a wreck on the inside. Think about it. Apart from Jesus, who had the best theology in Mark 1? The demon. The demon, he said, I know who you are. You're the holy one of God. Everybody else was in the dark. Everybody else was clueless and the demon got it. And he was as screwed up as it gets. Just because you're here, it doesn't mean you have everything figured out. It doesn't mean you have to have everything figured out. We'll never have everything figured out. It sure seems like the first story, and we don't know for sure, but it sure seems like the first story and the last story that they took place in the synagogue which means that these people that were dealing with these things, that were, that were unclean, that were possessed, that were enslaved to sin, these people were in, in what we would consider church. They're in, they're in the Sunday gathering. What are you dealing with this morning? 
I bet if we had a way to add up all the pain and all the hurt and all the experiences and all the brokenness in this room, if we had a way to add all of that up, we'd be so overwhelmed, we'd all be crying. But what an amazing kind of community God's building here. That you can find a safe place to share whatever you need. That there are people around you that actually want to help carry your burdens. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some healing. Jesus is offering freedom. Jesus is offering healing. Jesus wants to help you wherever you're at, and you don't need to clean up before you can come to him. So maybe you're here and, and, and you're dealing with a sickness. Maybe you're, it's keeping you from serving your family. Jesus can heal you today. Maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe you're, you're dealing with some stuff in your career or you need something miraculous to happen in your marriage. You fill in the blank, whatever it is. But if that's where you're at, um, we're, we're gonna go back into a time of worship. I'm gonna invite the band to come and, and join me. But we have a prayer team that's available every Sunday. And they're, they're right over here during our worship and response time. And as we go into this time of worship, I just wanna encourage you a little bit be brave this morning. Don't be shy. Like nobody's assuming the worst just because you go and and line up to receive some prayer. Like nobody's judging you. We're all for you here. This is one of those environments. Like when we say this, we mean it. You don't need to clean up to come to Jesus. And God wants to change some things in our lives and he wants to heal some things and he wants to bring freedom into our lives. So would you pray with me? Let's pray together before 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 we begin. God, I just thank you so much for everything that you're doing here, the the lives that we've been seeing healed. Last weekend, we celebrated and over 20 people made public decisions to follow you as we baptized them. This is so amazing. God, we know that this is just the beginning. There is so much uh, that you are capable of, so much more than maybe we imagine. And whatever weight or whatever pain or whatever's troubling us, nothing's too small and nothing's too big for you to help us with that you wanna put people in our lives as we, as we move into home churches this semester, you wanna put people in our lives that can help us carry a burden that we were never meant to carry alone. So God, I just pray as we move into this, this, this time, Lord, that, that you do your, your kingdom stuff, that you do the stuff that only you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.